Hello, and welcome to this DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. Blockchain is often confused with Bitcoin. In this DerivSource podcast, Dave Birch, Director of Innovation at Higher End Consulting, walks us through the differences between Bitcoin and blockchain, but also explains why the technology is fast entering the financial vernacular. Banks are not only exploring various different ways to use blockchain to comply with the RAFTA regulation, but they're also looking to use it to reduce growing technology costs. Here is DerivSource reporter Lynn Strong and Dodds speaking to Dave Birch. Hi, this is Lynn Strong and Dodds. We are here with Dave Birch, Director of Innovation from Consult Hyperion. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about blockchain. I thought I'd start if you can just Give us a brief introduction of yourself and company. Sure. And, and thanks for having me on, Lynn. I really appreciate it. Consult Hyperion is a, a specialist niche consulting firm based in the UK with an office in New York. Our clients are people involved in electronic transactions of various kinds. So, you know, the big payment schemes, banks, telcos, and so on. So our interest is in secure electronic transactions of all forms. The first question we'd like to ask you is, what is the main difference between blockchain and Bitcoin? That's a sort of complicated question to answer on a couple of different levels. So I'll complicate the question first, and then hopefully I'll provide a simplifying answer. So Bitcoin, the payment system and currency, uses a form of shared ledger technology. So in other words, all of the participants in the network essentially have a copy of all of the transactions. And we call that a shared ledger. And if you have a shared ledger, which is a good thing from many interesting perspectives, because if you have bad actors in the network and they attempt to sneakily change some of the transactions, everybody else has a copy of the ledger. So basically, if you want to cheat, you've got to kind of sneak in and change all of their ledgers as well. That's quite hard to do. So that's why we like shared ledgers. So Bitcoin uses a form of shared ledger which is called a blockchain. And there are some different kinds of blockchains, but one kind of blockchain is called a proof-of-work blockchain. And that's the specific kind that Bitcoin uses. And I think this is why you have this confusion in the marketplace with people sort of talking past each other and arguing about different things. So shared ledgers are a really interesting new category of technology that has a lot of promise reasons we'll explore a bit later on. There are different ways of implementing those shared ledgers, which depend on how you find consensus about a view of the world when the ledgers have discrepancies. One way of doing that is blockchains. And one way of doing blockchains is by what they call the proof of work blockchain. And that's what used for Bitcoin. People talk broadly speaking about the blockchain, but the blockchain is one very specific case of this technology which is almost certainly unsuited to anything in the world that your members, your readers are interested in. Now, that does clarify. But the second question then is, why has all of a sudden blockchain become such a hot topic over the past year? Bitcoin has been quite a hot topic for the last few years, but why the interest now in blockchain? I have a kind of business answer, but I have a sort of sociological theory about it as well which I can't substantiate in any way, but I think it might. I have a feeling that this all traces back 
to the last financial crisis because there'd been a variety of experiments with different kinds of new forms of money, new forms of electronic cash and virtual currency for many years. But I somehow think that the crash meant that people were more prepared to look at more radical alternatives, which maybe they hadn't been in the past. And so along comes Bitcoin. And of course, it has a fabulous creation myth to go with it. You know, this mysterious guy who sitting under a tree somewhere and thought it all up kind of thing. I mean, that's just a great story. And somehow that got some traction and got going. And then when boring people like me had a look at it, they said, the currency thing's kind of stupid because first of all, it's not really money. I mean, whatever you want to call Bitcoin, whether you like it or not, it's not money. It's a form of digital commodity of some kind. And actually, I think the regulators are broadly speaking, agreeing about that. But the way that it maintains consensus between all of the different copies is really pretty interesting. So why don't we take a look at that? And I remember going to the first European Bitcoin conference, which if memory serves, was about 2011. And I came back and told our clients, you know, I wouldn't really put too much on Bitcoin, but the shared ledger is something that's time has come. I should say, by the way, on the Bitcoin, I mean, it's a kind of glib thing to say, but my clients are sort of banks, right? And so Bitcoin doesn't solve any actual problem that any bank actually has, because the crucial design requirement for Bitcoin was to provide for uncensorable value transfer between untrusted actors. And that's not the world banks live in. So if you have a network of people that are trading, I don't know, whatever, derivatives or stocks or fish or something, you have a network of people who are known and trusted. So the design goals for Bitcoin have got nothing to do with that environment. So that's why it doesn't sort of really fit there. But this idea of the shared ledger has a crucial driving narrative behind it, which is why I think, even if it's not articulated in that way, which is why I think it's gaining traction. And this is all to do with transparency. So one of the most critical problems, which I think most analyses of the last crisis highlighted, and actually this is particularly true in complex derivatives, is that no one knew what on earth was going on. There, there was no transparency. And in particular, from a regulatory point of view, it was very hard to establish the state of the market. So the idea of a shared, a replicated ledger where all the market participants have essentially copies of the same ledger, which they're updating, and then you have a clever consensus forming protocol to work between them to make sure that the ledgers are updated and maintain a view of the real world, where access to that ledger can also be given to regulators, provides a very interesting new degree of transparency that we haven't had before. And I have a feeling that technological reasons aside and issues of cost reduction and uh, simplification, particularly in post-trade, taken into account, I have a feeling that it's this narrative around transparency, which is actually giving the whole thing traction. What about cost reduction? So in one way, to your point, it will help them comply with the regulations, but also reduce the technology. Is there any studies done on how much that can save a bank? Is there any other regulations? So you talked about transparency, which is always very important today, but are there any other uses that we'll have that can meet other types of regulations? We have done studies for a variety of different clients. I'm slightly suspicious. I mean, I see things, you know, such and such a bank says that this could save $10 trillion a year or whatever. I honestly don't pay any attention to any of that stuff. 
that's just management consultant guff because if you talk to them about, well, okay, what actually is the blockchain you're going, no one knows, right? It's still yeah, too early. Yeah. You know, you have the consortium of some of the biggest banks in the world coming together now to explore shared ledger technology. But it's very, very early days. I mean, I, I'm not traducing them because they have brilliant people on board that I know personally, but I doubt they could show you even PowerPoint now. It's still in super early days. So when I see a thing which says, well, the blockchain could save a billion dollars a week or whatever, I just completely ignore it. It's too soon to say any of that. Even if it results in no cost saving whatsoever, I think there are probably three factors which will drive the marketplace in that direction. There are good reasons for thinking that it provides for a more robust market infrastructure. So if everybody is working off copies of a shared ledger rather than a single centralized ledger, which could fall over or be cyber attacked or the cleaners could pull out the plug when they want to plug in the vacuum cleaner and the whole thing switches off. Everybody having a copy provides for a kind of robustness, which I think is interesting and very appropriate in certain markets. I think there are reasons for thinking that it provides for a more open structure for innovation. We're moving into a world of APIs and you know apps and all this sort of thing anyway. So the idea that you could have a ledger which was audited by app constantly rather than once a year by some accountants, that's quite interesting. And I suspect that opens up the possibility of some new products and services sitting on top of the ledger there as well. I shouldn't want your readers to think this means an end to privacy in the marketplaces. We've taken to calling these ledgers translucent because there are a variety of mathematical techniques which mean that you can store things on ledgers that can be shared, but the data can remain private. I can look at your ledger and see that you're solvent or that you're not breaking laws or whatever without being able to read individual records. I don't want people to think there's no privacy in all of this. That's, that's not true. But I think you know there's plenty of room for innovation there, I think. The idea that people will build new stuff on top of these ledgers is broadly true. And also because the ledgers are replicated, different banks, different institutions can interface in different ways to their existing legacy infrastructure. I think that provides for some opportunities as well. And then the third thing is the issue of the transparency that I was talking about before. And so if you read some of the stuff that says shared ledgers are going to lead to new kinds of financial services and new kinds of institutions, I think I would probably believe that. If I see something that says the blockchain is going to do that, I'm not entirely sure. In fact, I think that's probably not going to happen. And if people say, well, Bitcoin is going to cause this, I'm utterly skeptical. Well, what type of applications do you think blockchain will be first used? Will it be liquid or illiquid markets and why? The idea that you're going to use it for regulating high frequency trading seems a little unlikely because the way the technology works at the moment, the way we expect it to work, you know, this isn't something you're going to build to replace Visa or to replace some trading platforms that are doing a million trades a second. I don't think it's that to begin with. I think we need to look in other areas. And we need to find areas where the technology can be proven 
in an area where one of those factors I talked about is important. And again, I'd be hard pressed to prove this to you with bar charts and spreadsheets, but I, I have a feeling it might be the transparency area. I mean, I'm saying ledger, and you're probably picturing a, a dusty old book and some writing in it with a quill pen. But of course, one of the interesting things that's going on at the moment is that people are storing essentially executable code in these things. So, and this is where this concept of smart contracts comes from. So I can put things on the ledger that are programs that run as well as just data. And you could imagine an environment where the choices of operations that those programs can perform are defined by markets and regulators so that I actually can't write a bad contract. It just won't work. There isn't the code for it. So the regulators would regulate in a very different way. We've done some work on this in some other areas. And I've stolen a term from architecture for this, actually. So I, we call this ambient accountability. So the idea that you, you simply can't run software that executes something that's improper. This is a really interesting area to explore. So I have a feeling that we might be looking for markets where we need some transparency, where the rules are simple enough that they can be written into programs without too much trouble, and where we can experiment with the robustness and the innovation alongside that transparency. You know, and people have talked about certain kinds of, you know, I, I'm not expert enough to, to say whether these are good or not, but people have talked about certain kinds of OTC derivatives in that space, you know, certain corporate bonds and this sort of things. It's certainly going to be worth the experiment. What are the, as all new technology, what are the barriers to adoption and are the regulators responding well? Are they accepting of this new technology? Well, I mean, with the obvious caveat that almost everybody involved doesn't really understand it or know what's going to happen yet. And, you know, I'm no genius. I don't know what's going to happen either. It's a, it's a new area. With that obvious caveat, I have a suspicion that because of the transparency aspects to it, I would have thought the regulators would be rather in favor of it because that's the area where small improvements could make quite big changes in overall sort of stability and security. I don't see this as a negative. If I was a regulator, I'd be very interested in exploring this, of course. Which leads me to my last question is, how do you see the solutions developing? Will it be an industry-led or will the technology be developed by individual banks or vendor providers or a combination of all three? Speaking from a technological perspective, I think, and I am not by any means the first person to make this point. I mean, I've seen plenty of other people make this same point. That what we're likely to see is a number of shared ledger platforms emerging, which are for different industry sectors. And then, you know, particular markets or particular products will build shared ledgers on top of those platforms. So I expect to see a number of platforms arise. And I think if you look at what's actually happened in the market, in particular, the bank consortium that's building and using R3 to start to look at what the standards and practices might be. I think if they can put together an initial platform that can be used for two or three different kinds of products, I think that's all we need to do at this stage. So I, I do very much see it as a kind of industry sector and platform-oriented thing. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't see individual kinds of shared ledgers emerge to serve very specific niches. 
but I couldn't see an industry along the size of the securities industry sort of messing around with those kind of things. I think they're probably going to want to agree something on a much bigger scale, which of course means it isn't going to happen tomorrow. So we can carry on experimenting with shared ledgers and learning and uh, trying out some different things, but the market isn't going to change tomorrow. Well, thank you very much for your insights. It's been very helpful, especially the differentiation between the Bitcoin and the blockchain, because that can be very confusing. Bitcoin has proved to be a very effective marketing campaign. The message in this sector is I, I wouldn't spend too much time thinking about Bitcoin. Thank you very much, Dave. We really appreciate your insights. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this DerivSource podcast. You can find more information on this topic and relevant links on our podcast notes page available on DerivSource.com. Be sure to also subscribe to this podcast in iTunes so you can listen to it at any time and get automatic updates. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.